Awesome. All right. Well, we are in the thick of a prayer series, and I am super excited. We are multiple weeks into this series now, and I'm encouraged by the number of people who have come to me and reported on these big prayers that they're praying, and they're doing it so very often. Prayer has really been our focus for a number of months now. It's a huge deal, and we want to make sure that we dial in on what God's called us to do. By the way, it's a miracle. I sound terrible. It's a miracle I even sound at all. Yesterday, I had no voice. I thought, God, if this is your sign that you don't want me preaching, then... But he did. So he, he restored it overnight. So that must mean that this is meant to be. But we have this series of prayer um, that we've been talking about. And last week, we had a really great sermon from our pastor, Kyle Huff. Pastor Kyle Huff was, yeah, he preached his first sermon here at Foundation Church, although it's not his first sermon ever. He has many, many years of experience. But he challenged us with the gift of confession, confessional prayers, uh, confession to one another. And he said something to me, or to all of us rather, but it felt like it was just to me too. He said something last week that stuck out. He said, the easiest way for the enemy to keep us in sin is to keep us in shame. I loved that phrase. The easiest way for the enemy to keep us in sin is to keep us in shame. And I'm telling you, that'll preach seven days a week, okay? That'll preach seven days a week. You do not need to wear shame. That is the fastest and trickiest way that the enemy keeps us in our sin. So I really love that. And now this week, we're going to look at another component of the Lord's Prayer. We've been dissecting the Lord's Prayer, and uh, I just want to remind us how beautifully crafted this prayer is. Jesus prays a prayer in response to the request from the disciples, teach us how to pray, Jesus. They say, teach us how to pray. Now, it's not that they didn't know how to pray. It's that they saw the way that Jesus was praying, and they saw the, mir the miraculous things that were the result of Jesus' prayer, and they wanted that type of power. They saw like his unmatched wisdom, they saw the miraculous provision that Jesus would pray for things, and they would miraculously be provided. He saw healings, both spiritual, or they saw healing, spiritual, physical. They saw all kinds of things that were answered because of Jesus' prayer. And so they wanted to know how Jesus was doing that, how Jesus was praying. And I thought that it was really awesome that their assumption was that the reason the things were happening the way they were happening was because he was praying. I thought that that was just like a real subtle but interesting thing, that they knew that the power of prayer was real, but they just didn't know how to access the type of power that Jesus had. So they say, teach us to pray. Now, I would say this. If I dunked a basketball in front of you right now, it's unlikely that you would assume it was the result of prayer. Although it would be equally miraculous as some of the things that Jesus did, it would not be your first assumption. But I think we need to assume more that prayer is as, as powerful as is exampled in the Bible, as it's seen in Jesus' life. And we need, to, we need to know that. We need to believe in that. They wanted to know how Jesus prayed with so much power. So they said, teach us to pray. And his response could have easily been, well, I am God, therefore, you will never pray like me. And in some ways, right, he could have said that. 
That could have been his response. But in some ways, uh, I would say that that actually would have been a much easier thing for them to hear and for us to hear. And I only say that because uh, we, we, we think about Jesus' examples and we think to ourselves, man, it's impossible for those things to be part of my life the way that Jesus made them part of his life. And we could have moved on. We could have just said, you know what? You're right. We're not God. We'll never accomplish that. But that was not his response. That was not what he said. Instead, he prays the incredible prayer that we know today as the Lord's Prayer. They say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to access this miraculous power that God gives you, right? The power that he has inside of him because he is God. And he says, this is then how you should pray. This is his response. And I'm going to read it to you just another time because I feel like I could just tell you over and over and over the Lord's Prayer. We could pray it over and over and over, and it would never run out of glory. So in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, it says this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So today, for our time, we're going to focus on the line, give us today our daily bread. Now, we finally have arrived at the part of the prayer where we get to make a personal request. Yes, you're probably thinking, it's about time, Pastor Rick. I've got things that I need to pray for, and it's been too long. You've taken too long to get here to pray for my things. You've taught us how to honor God and invite the kingdom and even pray for other people, but this is my time. And you're right. This is our time. These are prayers that we call prayers of petition or prayers of supplication. Prayers of petition are the type of prayers that we instinctually pray when we need something or when we want something that benefits us. And when I think about it, I've prayed some really silly prayers over the years. Anybody else can relate to personal silly prayers? In fact, one of my favorite comedians has a bit about this, so I actually just want to show you this bit really quick. Patrick was good enough to get me the video, so if we could play that for a second. It's just a few moments. Tomorrow, 
directed Steve to kick that child in the face. <laughs> Okay, so obviously it's funny to think about those, but I would be lying if I told you that I haven't prayed some similar ridiculous prayers. And you know what? I think that that's okay. I don't want to shame anybody. Again, we just talked about that. It's okay to pray ridiculous, selfish, and childlike requests because you know what? They don't offend God. They don't offend God. Instead, God welcomes those requests as any good father would. But good fathers don't always give their children everything they ask for, right? We know that. Instead, they lead them to ask for the right things. They lead them to desire right things. They lead them to pursue right things. And that's what Jesus is doing with this prayer. He's showing his disciples how to pray so clearly that everything in this prayer is acceptable and even preferable to God when we pray. That means when he says, give us our daily bread, when he says, petition God for the things that you need, it's meant to be so. God wants to hear your requests. He wants to hear all of them. Every single thing that you pray is heard by God. Jesus, by praying this prayer for his disciples, is teaching them how to pray in a way that draws them closer to the heart of God. So we've seen, it. we've seen it this way. We've seen Jesus pray in a specific order, I think. I think there's a rhyme and a reason to the way that he orders this prayer. He started out by saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He wanted to show everyone that the way you start praying is by recognizing that you're praying to the God of the universe. Remember who you're praying to. You're praying to the creator of the universe. And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done, meaning we are to learn to align ourselves with God's plans and God's will. Your kingdom come, God, your will be done, not mine, but yours. And then it says, on earth as it is in heaven. And we talked about that two weeks ago. We were created to be God's intercessors, 
to partner with him in bringing his kingdom to earth. These first three phrases are inviting us into a perspective that is big and eternal and out of a perspective that is limiting and micro. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want to hear your, what you might think are small and insignificant prayers. He's just teaching us to pray in a way that aligns with God's heart. And there was a particular power behind Jesus's prayers. And the good news is, is that same power that inspired Jesus, the way that he prayed and how he prayed, that same power is in us now as Christ followers when we pray. John 14, 12 through 14, I want to read this to you. It's going to be on the screen. You can turn in your Bibles if you want. Gives us this reminder, this instruction about how this same power exists in us. Jesus is saying, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That is a wild scripture. Is it not? That is a wild scripture. I know. Amen, right? Because it's a big deal to know that Jesus said that even though I've done these amazing things, that same power that I've had in me that's given to you, but what we know now as the Holy Spirit that dwells in us as we become Christ followers, that same power is in us. And Jesus Jesus is saying, whatever you ask in my name, so the Father may be glorified in the Son, I will do it. I will do it. So he's telling his disciples in this passage that everything they have seen him do up until this point are just examples of what God intends to do through those of us who believe in him. That's incredible. And the entire time, Jesus has been leading these disciples. He has been pointing them to the things. The entire time that he said, hey, come and follow me, he's been pointing them to the things that matter to God, that are close to the heart of God, teaching them to value and fight for the things that God wants them to fight for. And when we are able to align our heart with God's heart, just as Jesus did, just as he was teaching the disciples to do, the lens through which we see the world will then shape our powerful prayers of petition. So I want to talk today about prayers of petition. I want to show us through scripture how we should structure, how we should organize, how we should pray prayers of petition. If you're like me, then you've most almost certainly wrestled with some, if not all, of these thoughts. I wrote down a few thoughts that I've wrestled with over the years as I've prayed. And maybe you can relate to some of these. Maybe there's other ones too. But I would think things like, if God already already knows what I need, what is the point of asking him for it? That's something that you could think. Like, if God's all-knowing, then why does he need me to ask? That's a thought I've wrestled with. Or here's another one. Does God actually care about these cosmically small but personally important things that I cannot get off my brain, right? You've had those things where you're like, ah, just kind of like the jokes. Like, I hate praying for this, God, but I really, really want this, right? I know it seems small in your eyes, but it's a big deal to me. I've thought that. Or how's it? here's another one. Is there a way or maybe even a formula that I can use to 
expedite my requests ahead of the rest of y'all's requests, right? Like, I don't know, maybe being a pastor gives me special access. I don't know. God, is there a way? Now, of course, that's a ridiculous thought, but I've thought these things. How do we figure out how to pray in a way that God will hear and answer our prayers? These thoughts and similar thoughts have caused me at times to doubt the validity of my petitions. Can anybody relate to that? Can anybody relate to that? But as I've said before, this series, the point of this series is not to educate us about prayer. It's to get us to believe in prayer. And I believe that the gift of petition is meant for our lowly, completely personal, and seemingly insignificant petitions just as much as it is for the lofty, world-altering petitions that we think we should pray. The ones that we think, oh, God definitely hears these. And then the ones that we think, God probably doesn't care about this. He hears every single one of them, and he wants us to bring them to him. So we've already covered that what God desires is to see the world the way, for us, to see the world the way that he sees it, to align our heart with his heart, to pray in a way, right, for your kingdom come, your will be done. We've covered all of that, but that's honestly a very wide landscape. So how do we know what to petition God for? Just like those doubts that I mentioned just a few moments ago, those things are born out of what should I pray for and what shouldn't I pray for? Well, as I've studied the Bible and as I've prayed a lot, I've become more aware of the fact that it's less about what I pray for, and it's more about how I pray for it. I think God is far more interested in my heart and my posture when I bring things to him than he is about disqualifying or qualifying the nature of my prayer. Again, he wants to hear every single prayer, but there are specific things in Scripture that help us understand how we might petition God in a way that honors him. And that's what we're going to focus on today. So let's look at how scripture leads us into petition. The first scripture I want to read to you is Philippians 4, 6. We read this a lot around here. It has a lot of really good things in it, but I'll highlight one specific thing. So it says this. It says, do not be anxious about anything. We've talked about that, about not being anxious, not worrying. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, what we're talking about today, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Every time we pray, we are meant to do so with a heart of gratitude. Every time we pray, big request, small request, we are meant to do so with a heart of gratitude. Now, why does God want us to have gratitude or thanksgiving when we petition him? That's a great question. Is it that he's such a sensitive spirit that he just can't handle a bad attitude? That's unlikely, right? That's not likely the God of the universe. Is it that he wants to teach us to be respectful and to show gratitude for what he's done? While that would be a good lesson and one that I hope to teach my own children, I don't think that that's it either. I don't think that either of those things are it. In fact, I don't think that his demand for thanksgiving in this verse, for gratitude in this verse, is for his benefit at all. I think it's for our benefit. According to a large body of research, psychologists 
have pinpointed some important benefits of regularly practicing gratitude. I'm going to read them to you. This is just a small scope version. There's many more than this, but I thought these were helpful. When you practice gratitude, you have a greater capacity for relationships. That seems like a good thing, right? When you practice gratitude, you have greater physical health. Anybody out here like putting in hours at the gym, just like, ah, this doesn't feel like it's working. <laughs> Maybe gratitude is your solution. When you practice gratitude regularly, you have greater psychological health, right? That's a good thing. When you practice gratitude regularly, you have enhanced empathy. You have a reduction in aggression. You sleep better. You have improved self-esteem. You have greater mental strength. Now, it seems based on these traits that are related to gratitude, that the demand for thanksgiving or for gratitude is actually God leading us into a healthier, fuller version of our life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that uh, even in our petitions, as he's teaching us how to pray, he's saying to do so in a certain way with gratitude, with thanksgiving, and it's for our benefit, right? Our petitions are often rooted in our personal deficits and sometimes even pain. And so when God says, hey, bring all of that to me, yes, but don't forget, do so with gratitude. He's actually helping us. He's not a tyrant demanding a good attitude. He's saying, hey, I've wired you a certain way. Physiologically, I created you. I understand you better than you do. When you pray, start with gratitude. He's so good to us. So when we pray prayers of petition, we start with a foundation of gratitude. Okay, the second trait that I believe helps us pray awesome prayers of petition. In 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2, it says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority that we may live a peaceful and that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, this passage encourages us to pray for all people so that we may live in peace and quiet moving toward greater godliness and greater holiness. This passage about prayer in 1 Timothy is awesome because it could at the surface seem a bit counterintuitive. Two weeks ago, we talked about intercessory prayer. We talked about praying on behalf of other people, prayers made on behalf of those who know they need it or those who don't know they need it. Either way, we're praying for other people. And if you missed that, you could go back and check it out. But this passage instructs us that our prayers of petition should be made for all people. And you're saying to yourself, Pastor Rick, I thought you said this is my time. This is my time to shine. These are my prayer requests. Yes, but these things are directly related to each other, and they're connected in the kingdom of God. So I want to show you how that's the case. Let's say you're having conflict with your spouse. We never have conflict, but I'm sure other <laughs> couples do. Let's say you're having conflict with your spouse or a coworker or a friend or a sibling. Whoever you fight with most regularly, just picture them. Just don't be mad yet, okay? You could pray. This is how you could pray. God, please help them to see the world the way that I see it and convince them 
that I'm right. You could pray that way. That's a prayer, and we know God hears prayers. But this is how you might pray if you're going to do it in a way that might be a little bit, I'm just going to say better, okay? God, this conflict is not easy. Help me to see the problem from their perspective and give me the capacity to respond more graciously the next time this comes up. In that prayer, you are asking God to help you, to fix you for the benefit of the other person. Do you see how you can petition God with a heart for other people? You can bring yourself, your requests, your needs to the throne of God, to the feet of God for the benefit of other people. And the best part in this passage, in Timothy telling us to make petitions for all people to pray for our benefit with other people in mind is that it leads to a life that is more peaceful and more quiet and more godly and more holy. Who wants to live a life full of peace and quiet? Any parents of toddlers in here can say amen. I heard you, Mike. Mike's believing for it. If you want to live a life of peace and quiet, try petitioning God to change you so that you can exist in any situation without losing your mind. That's how we pray for petition with other people's hearts and minds in our mind. When we make petitions for all people, our lives move in the direction of peace, quiet, holiness, and godliness. And I'm telling you, we should all want that. So when we petition God, not only do we start with the foundation of gratitude, but we make petitions for all people. We pray our prayers to benefit us with a heart for other people. This is not a selfish series of prayers. This is prayers that God would lead us into a better version of our life with other people in mind. We petition for that. And then our final trait as we petition is found in Hebrews 5.7. It says, during the days of Jesus's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. He was heard because of his reverent submission. There it is again, the S word, submission. We've covered this a few times now. That's a hard word. Submission is not an easy thing. We are proud people. It's just the way that we've become. We've decided on a way of life that makes sense to us, and we're moving that direction. But then comes along a scripture like this, and it says that Jesus, who had a way better understanding of how things work because he's God, was still praying prayers in reverent submission to his Father. So you have two options as a person when it comes to prayers of petition. You can either petition to God in reverent submission, like Jesus did, or you can try to will your petitions into existence yourself. 
Or said another way, you can believe that God hears your prayers and will answer them according to his will, which we know is working everything out for our benefit in the first place. Or you can operate under the pretense that a favorable outcome to petition is somehow related to how much you pray, if you say the right words, or even worse, if you believe that your behavior dictates how much and how well God hears your prayers. Those are the two ways you can operate under petition. Some might call this a name it and claim it faith, or some might say that God doesn't hear your prayers because you have a sin issue in your life or there's something blocking it. I just want to keep it 100 right now and tell you that everyone has a sin issue. It's the result of a fallen world, and yet God still hears our prayers. That's such good news that no matter how bad your day has been because of someone else or because of your own stupidity, God still hears your prayers. And then it shows us that Jesus prayed really intensely sometimes. It says he did so with fervent cries and tears. But it says that that wasn't even the reason he was heard. It says because he prayed in reverent submission. So as you petition God, do so in reverent submission. Petition God with reverent submission, knowing that you are bringing your prayers to him, and he is still God, and he still sees the world better than we do. And so he's going to answer them according to his plan, but you get to ask. You get to ask. So a foundation of gratitude, a heart for others, and in reverent submission. I'm obviously fading fast. Thank goodness we're near the end of my sermon. <laughs> In college, I got into this really bad habit of obsessing over grades. Anybody ever do that? Yes. Katie, raise your hand. I know at least you did. <laughs> Come on, people. I got into this bad habit of assessing, obsessing over grades, but particularly on assignments that hadn't even been graded. I have this like weird blend of a bit of a perfectionist mindset, maybe some OCD in there. And so the result was me taking a test or submitting a paper and then thinking about that submission until I got a grade. That's not helpful. Obsessing over it, worrying about it, wondering if I could have done it better. Even if I did it perfectly, even if I got a, a perfect score, I was thinking about it to the point where sometimes I was just debilitated by it. Like, it would, it would stop me from moving forward sometimes, not often, but it would stop me from giving the energy I needed to and the mental focus to future assignments. Until one day, I realized, I was like, this is doing me no good. No good. To worry about something that is no longer under my control. So instead, what I did and what I committed to doing was I gave, it, I gave every assignment my very best effort. Sometimes that was pretty good. Sometimes it wasn't as good. Sometimes life circumstances meant that my best was still just okay, maybe even bad. But I would submit the assignment, and it was so freeing. I walked around so much lighter and much, much more productive because I was on to the next thing. I see petition in a very similar light, a very similar mindset. I want to help you with this. Most of our prayers of petition come when we have done everything we can around a situation. 
We come to God with our wants and needs because we've gotten to the end of our own ability. I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is typically how it is. That we come to the end of our own capacities and then we still just need a little bit, maybe a lot more. You know what I mean? So here's what I want to suggest you try this week. I want you to take that thing that's consuming your thoughts. It might even be the thing you wrote down today, but there's maybe something else that seems more important even now as you're sitting here. I want you to take that thing that's consuming your thoughts, and I want you to first ask God for it through prayer, petition. And then I want you to give it your personal best. Whatever you can control, give it your best. I'm not saying that you just don't do anything. You start with prayer, you give it your best, and then you set it aside until there's a clear next step. I find that so much of my time worrying about things out of my control are wasted minutes that I could have been using in other areas of my life. And I come back to this verse in Matthew. Matthew 6, 33 and 34 says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You have something that you have only so much control over. If you had total control over it, it's unlikely you're even going to ask God about it. You know, I mean, if you're just like, yeah, I can take my wallet, I can take my phone out of my pocket. I didn't need to ask God for that. Right? I was in total control of that situation. But most of the, if not all of the important things in life are so far out of our control. How you raise your kids, how you love your spouse, you can only do so much. And then there's another component to that. Or how your finances go. You have some control in that, but you don't have all of it. Right? You don't have control you don't have control over what happens as you leave this place. You know where you think you're going, but other people have places they think they're going, and they might get in your way, right? They might. It might be inconvenient, or it might be devastating. Whatever it is, you don't have control over the most important things in life. And so what I will ask you to do for your own benefit is to petition for that thing to God Give it your best effort and then set it aside until you have a clear next step because God is telling you not to worry about tomorrow because today he has a great plan for you and he wants you to live it out. Today he gave me just enough voice to preach this sermon and then the rest of the day I'm probably going to sound like there's nothing in there at all and I'm okay with that. This was the thing I wanted to do today. So we petition God on a foundation of gratitude with a heart for others and in reverent submission to God's will. So we're going to take a minute. We're going to do that. We're going to petition God. We're going to pray for those things that are on <clears throat> our minds, but more likely in your heart. And then we're going to seal that time of prayer with communion, a beautiful gift to remind us of our daily bread, right? A beautiful reminder of God's grace. So I'm going to ask you, right where you are, to just spend a moment in prayer petitioning God for the thing that you wrote down. Or maybe you've come up with a more important thing since then. Maybe there's something that weighs more heavily on your heart. 
and you want to pray for that, whatever it might be, petition God, but do it with gratitude. Do it with others in mind, okay? Do, do it in reverent submission to God's will. God, I know you have a plan for this thing. Help me to understand it, but until then, this is what I want. This is what I need. So let's pray. God, we lift up these requests, these petitions, these supplications. God, we know that no matter how small or big they seem to you, God, they're big deals to us. They're out of our control in one way or another. And so, God, we need you. We need you to provide. We need you to intervene. We need you to sustain us, whatever it may be. God, we need you, and we petition you for prayers, prayers that are on our hearts and our minds for needs that are on our hearts and our minds, for things that we just can't do on our own. Give us the strength, the capacity, the will to do everything we can. But God, we still need you. And so we thank you that you have given us everything we need to do everything you've set us to do. We, we have so much gratitude in our hearts. And God, help us to be better spouses and friends and parents and coworkers. God, may we see situations from their perspective. Help us to come to a congruent path forward. And God, we ask, but we know that your will your kingdom, your kingdom will come. Your will will be done. Help us to align our hearts with that. Help us to learn to pray prayers that lead us in that direction. Thank you for being a good father. So I'm going to ask that you take your communion cup. I'm going to lead us through communion to seal this time, and then I'm going to have you stand, and we're going to sing. The gift of communion is this. It's a tangible reminder. It's a taste and smell reminder that God's grace is sufficient for us. Like, we know that. I had this conversation with somebody before. We know that, but the disconnect between our head and our heart is often so hard to overcome. It's crazy to think that because they're right there. But what we know doesn't always mean what we feel makes sense. But when we get these tangible reminders of God's grace, when Jesus gave us the gift of communion that night with his disciples and said, do this and remember me, we're remembering the gift of God's grace. We can taste it. We can see it. We can smell it. That's the gift of communion. So I'm going to pray for the elements, and then you can take them. And then after you've done so, please stand and sing. God, we thank you so much for this gift of communion. God, as we pray the prayer, give us our daily bread. God, first and foremost, we need you. And you gave us communion to remind us that you are here with us, 
no matter the circumstances. So God, as we taste the cracker and the juice, God, I just pray that we would revel in that, that we would be reminded of that, that we would just soak that up, that it would overwhelm us how good you are to us and how much your grace is sufficient that overcomes all deficits that we just can't possibly overcome on our own. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So go ahead and take the communion elements and then will you stand and